0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the American Scouser podcast. I am Galley, filling in for Temuchin, who is somewhere gallivanting across the country. Yesterday, I think he was on in San Francisco, and today he's in Vegas. And clearly, he just is able to take a lot more time off than me and you, Paul, especially at this time of year. Uh, but good for him for getting on the road. Good for us for being able to, well, yes, To BJ's point, probably skip that damn segment altogether. Uh, But Paul, before we get to it, uh, we missed you last week. How's your new year? How's everything going for you? Good. Feels a lot like last year, which is pretty crummy so far, but we've got lots of time to make up for it. We do have time to make up for it. So before we go jumping in here, though, um, and start talking about the Wolves match and some of the other you know topics that we have for tonight's program for everyone. I would quickly love to get your stance on, you know, I know the Brentford match was a week ago, but it was such a capitulation, and in some ways, it was almost a microcosm of everything we've been talking about for months. Uh, Teams sitting back, being better prepared to play us, having a plan B that we just don't seem to have. Um, any quick inputs or insights on that Brentford match things you wanted to get off your chest. Cause God knows, you know, everyone that's been on Facebook has seen some of your opinions out there, but for all of our listeners, <laughs> I feel like they should probably, I feel like our listeners deserve to get a little bit of your rant as well. It's, it's really because on Facebook, I
1: can't be silenced. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess technically I can, but you still have to see it originally before I'm blocked. Um, no, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like I, when you said we were going to talk about this, right? Like we are texting back and forth today and you said we are going to talk about this. Like <laughs> I had this momentary like internal dialogue where I was like, am I blacking out during these games? Because I literally can't remember like large swaths of entire matches, which which usually I feel like I, I we live these details, right? So like <clears throat> I was thinking about it. It's like, yeah, we just – it's the same game on repeat for the last year and a half it feels like. But, I mean, I think when you look at it, like we look at the things that stand out. I think we talked about the big stat that's come up in the the last week is the fact that we're third worst in the league in big chances conceded uh, throughout a match. And I'd say that's pretty accurate considering that a Brentford team that was without a guy that makes up of half their goals was out and they still put three by us. And they look like they could have put seven by us. Um, I think that's probably pretty true. So, like, why is that happening? I mean, I, if you remember the title year, the title year was a year where we got a 1-0, like, lead. At It could have been, like, the fifth minute of the game, and game we over. felt good about that. Game over. game over. So, like, what's changed? And then we look at the numbers that keep showing up about how this team – is 15th in the league right now and distance covered. Like, and that's, when we look at a Jurgen Klopp side, it was this high press Gengen press uh, heavy-metal football, run-your-tail-off, and then you say that this team's 15th in the league in total distance covered. I mean, I think these numbers are just confirming what we've been saying for a long time, and that's that the breaks have been beat off this team over 60 plus comps a year over multiple years with summer competitions in there in little rotation. Like, and I just, to me, I mean, we can get into a discussion later. I just think that this team hasn't ever seen the iteration. I think it's, it should have evolved past what, what it is now. Like the entire yeah. midfield should have evolved this we should be looking at the next iteration of the great Jurgen Klopp side that won the one on last Champions League title and it never evolved and I don't know if it will because if you look at Jurgen Klopp historically at Dortmund, exact same issue to a T and we can get into the parallels later but it's the same scenario and it never evolved and I I just don't know if he's capable of doing it.
0: Yeah, we we are going to get there. It's a, it's a big part of tonight's yeah. show. I wanted to get your input on the Brentford match because. For me the Brentford match was, you know, it was really like a level end of frustration. You know, you made the comment it was like groundhog day or it's new year's all over, it's last year, it's this year, it's all the same. It does just feel like it's match after match and it's it's it doesn't matter what we change. Nothing. The result is the same. But the truth of the matter is is we're going to get to it. We never change anything. And I think that's where my frustration is coming to. So one thing that we're going to change, but BJ ruined my joke, is we're going to just skip right the hell over trivia because when Tumutian here, oh. we don't need to embarrass the two Whew. of us,
1: I oh, saw but- a sign
0: coming up. My heart fluttered a little bit. I, I figured before we get into anything, well, I'm going to do this. Here's your trivia question for this week, Paul. Oh. Can you guess whose birthday it might be? Oh, man. That's some Brazilian guy named Lucas Leva. Yeah and it, it it I'll tell you what um we we couldn't have this version of Lucas cuz unfortunately for Lucas you know for yeah. anyone who lives under a rock he was forced to retire earlier this year um back in Brazil as he was trying to wrap up his career I'll tell you this we could use some cover for Fab and I would take this guy in his prime to slide into that role and let's be honest Fab might be covering for him if they were in their prime to be fair yeah. um but both played Really big roles, but I saw it was his birthday today. So before we got into anything too depressing, I thought, what better way than to say happy birthday to an absolute warrior? And the thing about this guy was, was it was never pretty, right? But you knew what you were getting in every minute of every game, every match he played, effort, determination, passion for the badge, uh, and real leadership on the pitch. Something as we go further into this uh, podcast, I think we're going to get to a little bit. Because I'm starting to question where the actual leaders are on this pitch and wondering if in some ways some of these mentality monsters weren't a little bit of front front runners when it comes to it's easy to be a leader when you're winning. It's a whole nother thing to be a leader of men and champions when things are going the way they have. Um, so let's get into what was... Just another disappointing afternoon on Friday. I mean, maybe, or Saturday Saturday afternoon, sorry. Might have been maybe the most disappointing, in my opinion, of the matches I've seen in a long time. Um, And for me, I'm going to be honest, it started right with this lineup that came out. So before I give you any of my insights or opinions, the lineup comes out. It's two o'clock Saturday afternoon. You've watched an entire wonderful afternoon. You've yelled at all of us to get out of bed and start watching uh, the amazing FA Cup third round action. What did you call it? The greatest day of international football? Wasn't that your, or European football, something like that?
1: Do you love these rounds? I I must confess that I I thought this was one of those rounds that went to extra time and penalties, which is like, to me, is awesome when you've got like 40 games and half of them are going to penalties. (laughs) So that's fully what I was expecting. I was like, oh, I, I I jumped the rounds, man. So I have to brush up on my uh, FA Cup rounds
0: before I start making big uh,
1: comments on Discord at, at, at everybody.
0: Fair, fair. So your opinion when the lineup came out, obviously he goes strong. Can you tell me why? <sighs> Well, I think Thank it backfired. You. I think uh, the, 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 the reason why is
1: that you're trying to get a response and have something to have confidence with going in, knowing that you're going to essentially have nine days of rest, something we haven't seen in forever. So on the premise of that and the philosophy, like the lineup. Obviously, in hindsight, we can feel differently about it. Uh, but at that time, seeing this, I like that call now you said something that terrified me you were like yeah he says so, you know he's gonna go strong the rest of the competition and i'm like love this here don't love it for the rest of the competition because you know as we've discussed at link the priority is top four because if you don't make top four there are some serious seriously negative ramifications for this club um and so all of these other things to me are complete extras um especially since the money from these competitions is essentially less than a place on the Premier League table with the TV payouts.
0: So let's take it, let's take it, um, you know, we have time here on this uh, podcast. Let's kind of take it segment by segment. You know, we'll start with the back line and Ali and Net. From a man management standpoint, can you explain to me how Kelleher does not get a start in this match? <laughs> Uh, no, especially on the
1: precedent you set for playing him last year, the way that you played him. And
0: I would hope that he would be able to look up and see a yellow kit and know not to
1: pass it to it.
0: So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have to be honest. I, I almost felt in some ways, not that Ali hasn't made enough small mistakes and listen, if it wasn't for Ali, we'd be You know, below Chelsea right now in the table So no one on here starts slamming in comments Please jump in with your comments And while we're at it, we'll say hello to our good friend Alan Um, Greetings from Houston With you, I'm assuming this is with you In spirit, but not in body Just not well I don't know if that's Alan saying that he's just not well Because of the way Liverpool is treating him uh, But I know Alan has shared with us sometimes That he has had some health issues So if that is the case, Alan Everyone here at American Scousers uh, cheering on you hope you feel better sure. hope things get better uh and do well we miss you and we need you on here from houston and you should give bj some shit because no one's supposed to beat you to the first comment i thought the people in this channel by now knew no, the i didn't rules. even
1: think the chat i didn't think the chat actually activated until alan came in and that
0: was pretty much how i thought it worked too Other than the fact that we just delete all the comments of people saying things like Gally, will you shut up? Gally knows nothing. When does Gally blink his eyes? And the answer is not often, especially when he's angry. Um, In
1: fairness, a lot of those are my
0: burner accounts, right? Exactly. Those are usually the nights when Paul's not here. Those are the (laughs) nights I have the most commentary. Um, But as we looked at the alley thing, did it put any pressure on him? And I'm not saying he makes that bonehead mistake, but he didn't play well over the 90 minutes. His distribution was poor. He had the the moment in the first half where he's fighting with Robertson. Um, Robertson's waving his arms at him. And we're going to get to that too. Like some of the things we're starting to see on the pitch, guys telling Henderson to F off, (laughs) um, guys yelling at the keeper. I think at one point Fabinho basically waved his hands like this at Klopp in the middle of the match. Like, what do you want me to do? You have me out here with, you know, Tiago. And we'll we'll get to Tiago and whether or not, you know, that is still the same version of Tiago that we purchased or the version that is now here. Um, I think that's a little bit of that topic for the wheels coming off later on and some of the running this down and some of the parallels to the past. I think Tiago draws one of the greatest parallels that you could have to the kind of that prior Klop era, and we're going to get to that. But I personally felt like Ali looked like almost like he was surprised he was asked to start the third round tie of the FA cup. Like it didn't make sense to him while he was playing. Um, He didn't seem to have good communication. I've always struggled with Matip and Kanate as a pairing. I don't love it. I don't like Kanate on the left compared to he is on the right, which is a big problem seeing that the veteran won't allow him to play in his best position. And then our fourth choice center back also doesn't play in that position. Um, So it's just a catch 22. It feels like, They put him in a tougher spot. So for me, it just felt disjointed from the beginning. When we look at that midfield, we know what Henderson, Fabinho, and Fab, or Henderson, Fabinho, and Thiago can bring when in unison and playing well. But again, coming off of arguably being the most influential player on the pitch against Brentford when he came on, can you explain to me why Thiago had to start a six consecutive match for Liverpool and Keita couldn't start?
1: No. And I don't, I also can't tell you why the entire midfield outside of Tiago had two tackles and he had six, like that's not the look that you want in that situation either. Like, so I think Thiago is an interesting one because I think that he, I don't think there's been the drop off that you've seen with Hendo and Fabinho that, in Thiago, I think Thiago has kind of maintained what he's always been, um, which I would argue is world class. I mean, he's getting older, but I still think he has that. But like the things that Thiago, uh, the, the the things that Thiago does well, you can't do when you have players like Fabinho and Hendo at their ages in the form that they're in. That's the problem. That if you you've essentially neutralized the only midfielder that's playing at his level by what's around him right now. Um, and it's just really tough because like the disjointed play, it's not because these guys don't know each other. Remember when it was like you, these guys played like they knew where they were thinking about being before they even thought about it. It was wild. It was like telepathic the way they moved. And like, I think what's happening is like, there's a, there's a lack of, there's an inherent lack of confidence and ability right now. Um, and part of that becomes, comes from these guys are humans. They feel the weight of this thing. They know what's happening. They know that this thing is coming apart at the seams and they feel that, right? The other part of that is, is while that's happening, they're being asked to do things from their manager that they're not physically capable of doing anymore. They're not physically capable of playing. And this goes back to lack of plan B, lack of change that you were discussing at the beginning of the pod. Like this comes from the fact that we're not changing anything and that's fine. If you want to be stubborn about it, if you don't want to change a philosophy and you don't want to change a tactic, you have to change the pieces. If they're no longer able to do what you're asking them to do. And we haven't done anything. We haven't, we haven't asked for change. We haven't thought about change and we haven't replaced the pieces. So like it no longer the, the there's a cog in the machine and that's just your inability to move on something to be quite honest. And like, I, I feel for these guys because I, I, you can feel the frustration across the squad and it's just an inability to change in and, and, and a lack of awareness and, and knowing what these guys are capable of right now. Cause they're not capable of it.
0: David Leslie says we need a midfield reboot. And I mean, yes, captain obvious, but we agree with you a hundred percent, Dave, and yep. thank you for sharing your comment. It's just so glaring and frustrating. And I know we've been saying it for a couple windows and, you know, you and I have given both ownership a little bit of a pass at times. We've also been more critical on Klopp maybe than some of our listeners have uh, or other people in our Discord Discord channels. At the same time, I think we've been realists that COVID played a big role into this. Um, I think there were plans. But other clubs and clubs with less financial clout than us have been able to make moves. And they're securing players. And you know, we always talk about City. And we used to talk about you know the checkbook manager. If we really line up their business the last two and a half years, they their last three transfer window windows are basically what we did to the rest of Europe for the you know windows three through six ago, where we never missed, we sold everything high. They have been buying players at right prices, selling Youth Academy for profits, and reinvesting. And when a player doesn't fit, like Farron Torres, they give them two years and they make a profit, or Sané, or Sterling, and they're going to do it again with Gundogan, and then they're going to do it with Silva. And, you know, we all talk about all these different moves, and, and and we criticize them for that. But there's clubs like West Ham that are out there spending $100 million, but are also selling players for profit. And I, I know I've been banging this drum that we've just allowed too many players over the last five, six years. It's that over loyalty. And we're going to get to that whole entire thing of being too in love with the squad or too in love with the memories of the squad. Because I honestly don't believe that Jurgen Klopp actually loves this squad anymore because Curtis Jones didn't get to play in an FA cup tie. He played with the under 21s the next day. Okay. Like if he still loved the guy and thought he was still a big part of this, he would have gotten out onto the pitch against Wolves. He would have found his way into these match day squads. He doesn't even fight to give these guys shots. But these are the players that were basically the people blocking the entranceway from new acquisitions coming in. You know, we waited for three years to, as, as you know, With Temuchin not here tonight, let's have a great opportunity to talk about Ox during the championship winning season. Um, We waited for three years to try to get Ox from the championship winning season back because he was so important. The problem was, was he had two major injuries, fell four rungs down the totem pole. And now this morning I got to wake up and read because he's had three starts in the last 90 days. They're talking about maybe extending a contract to him so they could maybe secure a fee. I will lose it if they give any of these guys money. And I don't want to hear that, you know, Kata could save his Liverpool career. If you wanted to save Liverpool, Kata's Liverpool career, Jurgen, you would have played him from August till December and you would have put him on your Champions League roster. Now, we all know Kata pulled some shit in the summer. He was trying to angle for a move out and Klopp tried to bury him. And he thought Harvey Elliott could carry it. He thought Carvalho could play in a midfield. And I'm sorry. All of you kid apologists. He was wrong on both fronts. Neither are ready to be in our midfield. Honestly, I'm not sure neither are actually ready to even play the number 10 role if you ask them to defend because they both get muscled off the ball and it, it's a tough spot to play in his system. So we've, we've worked our way back, right? We, we started with the back. We came into the midfield. How about up front when you see once again, it's Ox Nunez Moe?
1: I mean, this is why we got Gakpo, I, I would imagine, right? Until the injuries to, to Diaz and Jota, uh, like, uh, resolve themselves. And my I have major concerns about what version of Diaz we get back, um, considering that it's a, a similar injury twice in the same area. So, um, I mean, I think that that really solves – I think that's why we see Gakpo. But, like, I mean, at the end of the day, like – as supporters, we wanna we wanna know why something happens. Who's to blame, right? And I think the narrative, the easy narrative, has been, well, it's an inability to back Jurgen Klopp from this ownership, right? Um, it's a lack of an investment. Uh, and then on the other side, um, I think what's not looked at and should be looked at is how does Jurgen Klopp actually operate with transfers? How does he operate with the squad, right? Well, one of the criticisms is that he's slow to change, he's stubborn, and that he works with a smaller squad. Those are things that work for Liverpool at the time that we're building the squad. Less with more has been a mantra that this ownership team has definitely run with and with for good reason, right? Now, if you're, if you're actually objective about how we've done business, the sell-the-buy age of sort of Brendan Rodgers, what we were doing when we were getting the likes of players like Markovic in and things like that. That there was a definite philosophy shift from that to what happened when Coutinho was sold. If you're honest about it, and you look at what we did, there was a definite philosophy change. Even though Coutinho went out the window, that money funded a lot of moves. From there, we went to Fabinho, and we put b- significant building blocks that were close to finished pieces into this side. And I think my I think that Jurgen Klopp. I think the responsibility of this entire situation lies firmly on both sides of the fence because I think you have a manager who is an excellent leader, a builder of men, a culture changer, but has never seen a top side get to its next iteration. He's never taken his top side into the next generation or next version of that squad ever from Mines all the way through Dortmund. And it's very similar at Dortmund. He lost a key midfielder, Goza. Who got the blame? The ownership, because they said it was a short sale and they didn't have a plan B. I'm sorry. Same with FSG. If you don't have a plan B, that's on you as an ownership team because no player is expendable. In this situation, Goetze came in and basically demanded a move short sale. They went off the Bayern. Klopp saying he didn't have enough time to find a proper replacement. That's on the manager too. If you're a manager, you always have to have that next guy in mind. And so it starts with the key midfielder Götze at Liverpool. I think
0: it was Genie. Yeah, we're gonna I we're think- gonna we're gonna get to that that parallel in a in a few. I do want to just kind of touch on the Wolves match because I think we do have to just review it. Um, mo- mostly because well, you know, poor Kelly has heard enough about what I saw that day and and gone through my uh, overwhelming frustration. So you made one of the comments I felt. <laughs> was honestly one of the funniest things I read all day in Discord. And then I had to like reread it and realize you were serious. Which was before we get to the you know we finished talking about this whole lineup. Let's touch on this bench. Because I think your exact response was was it's a scary world. I would rather Wolves bench today than ours. And when I look at this bench, the first thing I thought to myself was other than the fact that Kata should be starting And maybe, why did you sign Carvalho if he can't start a A third-round FA Cup match against Wolves? Because, to be honest, if he's not ready to play against Wolves, he should be on loan at Wolves. Period. Mm -hmm. Or Crystal Palace. Or he should be in the championship. Hell, he should still be at Fulham, letting him get seasoned. And, you know, who knows? They'd probably be four points ahead of us instead of tied with us on points if Carvalho was still there. Um, but to me, there, was, there wasn't a match winner on that bench. There isn't a change. You realize how much you miss Bobby. Obviously, you know, we once again, Jota always gets overlooked on this squad of superior talent because he's like, oh, he's a goal poacher. He just shows up and pops up in the box and scores. Well, sometimes you need someone to pop up in the box and scores. The other thing he does is work his tail off at every single spot on the pitch that you put him, and he pushes everyone else around him to play. But we've touched a little bit on Allie's mistake. Clearly, it's just an absolute bonehead mistake. I, for one, probably assume that his hair was just not properly done. Had his hair been a little bit in better shape, I don't think he would have made that pass. Um, I digress. But take the first goal aside. I think we can't move on without at least acknowledging um, Darwin's finish and how important that goal was. But let's really – You know the class of the ball, but more importantly, for me, was the mentality of the player. Because the moment the ball went back to Trent, Darwin started the run and had his hand up. He wasn't thinking about getting behind and using speed. He was thinking about that ball coming over the top, him getting his body in position in a perfect spot and 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 bearing it. It comes off his shin. I almost argue that that makes it harder because you really have to have your positioning and your body right to actually slot that past the keeper in that spot. And let's be honest, if Darwin smashed that thing laces, it probably would have ended up six rows wide because right now that's how things are going for him. Um, Couldn't have been happier for the kid. And you could see the relief on his face, but I always weigh it on this. He wasn't the happiest. He might not have even been the 10th happiest Liverpool player on the pitch when he scored and for me that speaks volumes about what he's doing to acclimate with his teammates how hard he's working on the training ground and how hard these players know right now life in England is being compared to the best striker in the world purely because of your price tag
1: I I I mean I love this kid's mentality when you think about when you think about what he's dealing with from an outside perspective, like I'm trying to think of a striker who's come into the English Premier League lately and got this much just absolute bullshit thrown at him from from like other fans, media about being and the, the only thing that I can think that comes close to mind is Timo Werner. But like he was he's a lot older and he wasn't scoring like at all. Like but he could speak you, English. Right, it, it, like this kid's coming in as a as a kid, not knowing the language, brand new league. He, I, I mean, he scored like nine and two and or, or six and two league goals and ten starts, and people are like calling him this this flop. You don't ever hear about nobody's talking about Anthony like that over at United. No. Like uh, it, it's and uh, so Sancho, yeah, Sancho I mean, not even, only does even it, isn't even in the squad. It's like not only does it not make sense from a standpoint of like, uh, ch- like, I mean, he's faster to his goal ratio than Sadio Mane in in Luis Suarez. Like, I mean, he's like his his ratio for goal involvement is up there with the greats in the club in their first year, and like he's but he's like on all the flop list. It just it literally makes no sense. I saw a list today that was rating transfers. The rated Sadio Mane is good. Sadio, Sadio Mane has one more goal than he does. The same assist ratio with two more starts and is currently out injured in a one-team league where they roll other teams in the best side in that league. And he's yeah. been rated a good transfer, and he's been rated – like Nunes was rated a
0: wait and see, something like that. It's like, dude, like it makes, no sense,
1: how, it makes no sense waited how he's so, being evaluated. Yeah.
0: I feel like it's a click argument. Um, I think at smaller clubs, we've seen it a little bit. Um, You you, you saw it with, obviously with Joe Linton at Newcastle, purely because he was a record signing and he was supposed to be a bigger signing. Um, I, the name is just completely escaping me now. Um, At the time it was the the guy who went off to, uh, oh man, it's going to irritate me who was at West Ham and then went to Ajax, had the great year, went to Dortmund and came, had the cancer. Um, had the great year to another one that was a record signing and just didn't make it here. And then last year led to all the champions league and goals scored. We've seen this in the premier league at big clubs. I think you see it as well, but the idea that anyone ever called, you know, Lukaku a top striker after the runs that he would have at United and Chelsea Baron and they gave Nunez basically a month and a half. And because yeah. Holland Holland did do something that most people don't do. He walked into the premier league and arguably was the best player at his position. And there's not many people come to the premier league and do that right away. I mean, I, I didn't think Holland would, to be honest, I still thought that at this point of this season, we'd be talking about Harry Kane being the best all around striker. Now I think if we actually looked at body of work and who they play with and how they play and what they bring to their sides, I'd still argue Harry Kane's a better footballer than Erling Holland is every day of the week. Um, you could Erling argue Holland's that Harry. Great...
1: You could argue that Harry Kane stepping into that City side brings
0: them more to that side than Holland. I, I I was the big one that always said I thought we dodged a huge bullet when Kane didn't go to City because I honestly think that Kane dropping deep playing with De Bruyne would have basically gave them the ability to play as fluent through their wingers with their false nine mentality while also having the most clinical number nine England's ever had. So I think they'd be a better side. Do I think eventually Holland will take them to a new level? Maybe, but I also think it'll be two years from now and he'll be playing at Madrid, but that's an argument for a different day. So it's one, one, obviously we concede the second, um, you know, Huang gets the goal. Um, or actually, we take the lead with Mo's goal first. What are your thoughts? Should it have been ruled out for offsides for Darwin playing the ball? I, I know this is where I love that Tim not here because he would have sat here as a defender and told us that he's forced to go defend and therefore that should be offsides. I felt it wasn't. Um, I could have understood if they chalked it off. What were your thoughts on that one quickly?
1: I mean, that's the problem with it. The letter of the law says these offsides, but the letter of the law also rules gray area, right? So like I, I, to me it's not I, to me it's not offsides. Uh, and I don't think if you actually interpret the rule correctly and how it's being applied nowadays, and that's the big thing is like we look at these rules, but how are they actually applied? I think the app- application of that rule,
0: I think it's on side.
1: Um, I think it's a legitimate goal.
0: So, Huang, um, you know, scores his first goal since, I think, what was it, last May or something like that? Uh, or last February uh, for Wolves after he came as a January signing and scored a few goals. And they thought they had a, something to build on there. And like all Wolves players, they get embedded in and understand that they don't speak the Portuguese language. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it just doesn't work for them. I swear they just take away the meal card and like make you like just show up. <laughs> like they're just sitting there with like babble on their phones trying to figure out points all day. Um, somewhere in Molyneux, uh, it's always great you find a spot in the Midlands where you have to be able to speak Portuguese, <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you. I still can't understand how the third goal doesn't count. Um, I understand they're telling us there's no angles. I thought I saw about five different angles. The announcers seemed like they just felt like the guy missed it on the pitch. Is this just down to the fact that he raised his flag and it was just so close without the great angle? Because to me, why have VAR if you can't get an angle inside Anfield to see offsides? Like, to me, that's just a...
1: We've Crazy. seen Var do this. When we remember, we needed the center. Like we did, we were missing a camera angle from the center that one time. So we've seen Shanks in this. I personally thought it was off because it, it's coming from the original position of him directly after he takes the corner kick, takes that deflection off the head, and it looked to me like he still hadn't made it. The problem is, is we're we are as viewers, we're basing that off the crown of his head that we can see on the TV. We can't see anything but below like this. We can't see, right. So, and we all know that it all it takes is like a fucking four foot elbow or something like. So we don't we don't get to see that, and that's just another one of those things. where like, from a commentating standpoint, it's it's funny because you can tell with the commentators, it's the same thing for them. There's a lack of transparency for everybody. None of oh, us yeah. know what's happening, and, and that's a real problem because the commentators, you know, have to work around it. And they have the hard job, really of working around it. But from what I saw, I I thought that the crown, like from where his head was positioned, that he was probably off. But like, dude, it's one of those things where we just didn't get enough evidence while they were showing it. And I can not see why Wolves fans were pissed. Um, I was personally pissed. We didn't lose because it's a competition. We don't need another,
0: another match in. Well, before we move on to talking a little bit more about some of the other topics, I think that is a, uh, a, a good segue for us here This replay, like I basically felt like it was like a hole in the head. It was the absolute worst case scenario. If you told me we could figure out a way to win this match, I was all for it. You know, get to the next round of the FA Cup. We'll see where it goes from there. Let's check out the draw. I can't lie, knowing that this is a road match away to Wolves that we can't afford to play midweek to go have another road match away to Brighton that we can't afford to play at some point, that might require another replay if we happen to draw because there's replays again in the next round of the FA Cup. Um, you know, for me, three extra matches with this brittle side, no Virgil, you know, the news that he's going to be out six to eight weeks. I, It all makes me very, very nervous. And there's some reports today that Klopp literally might let Pep send out like a youth team. At mowing you fine with it. You okay with that? Fine you okay with it. with it even after how he handled this round? That's the only part that frustrates me. When you don't rotate for the initial round, I almost feel like I know he wanted a response, but he does no rotation, rolls out the same guys who have been struggling, and then everybody's been struggling
1: at this point. You might as well turn to like all the veterans in the back of the room, Oliver starting 11, we We've run into the ground and be like, I'm gonna send these kids. I think they probably got just to get a shot of women like I mean like you, you you know you might as well send the kids out maybe they'll maybe they'll come up with some magic maybe they'll come out with some like some grit something I mean it's just like it's so lifeless out there like I, I don't I don't see I don't see the benefit in any way in trotting these dudes right back
0: out there I don't So what's your prediction For this next round of the FA Cup do you think he will play the kids do you think he'll go strong or a mixture of both I think it'll
1: be a mixture of both is my feeling because I feel like whenever there needs to be a decisive decision made one way or the other we get a mixture of both and like I just feel like he'll probably go up the spine with some like with some veteran players and then piecemeal it together it'll be a side where we see some youth whether it's Costas, you know, Harvey. Um, I feel like it's gonna be a, a scattered mix throughout there of, of of youth and experience.
0: I could see this actually being the match where he gives Doke the actual start and lets him just go out there and play for 60 yeah. minutes. He has been impressive in his little cameos, and you can see a player in there, clearly. And Klopp doesn't put kids out there like that unless he thinks they can actually make an impact. Um, but please, everyone listening to this podcast. I'm sorry if I have to offend you here, but can we not overblow and overhype another kid? Um, Can we not, you know, do this again, where I have to hear how Harvey breaking his ankle last year is the reason our season got derailed? No, it wasn't. Our season got derailed because after five matches, we thought we needed a 19-year-old kid to start every match in our midfield for it to work. And then we didn't go out and replace that midfielder. So I guess while we look at the past, you brought up, the parallels to Dortmund. It's been talked about many times on these airwaves, in Facebook groups that we're all in, the eerily similar comparisons, right? So, um... This Yersfield writer on ESPN.com. Yeah, and
1: I want to say before everyone's like, oh, ESPN, it's it, this is a German it independent. I was just say, this is a European,
0: yeah. this was a European writer who covers the Bundesliga. And yeah. if you don't know this article, Google it and read it. Uh we are going I have some notes here, so we are gonna talk about it. That's the only reason I stopped you. I didn't want to make it seem like I was no, you get was I, going out.
1: off on a tangent, so you um, saved everybody. No,
0: no, no. It's it's <laughs> There, there are basically five principles to this article, and there's probably four. I mean, we could draw parallels to yeah. all of them, but there are a couple that are just absolutely spot on, and you hit on one, and we're going to start with it. And it was and it was bullet number one, which was the Goetze departure and the Mikatarian transfer, right? That was one bullet. Because right. to your point, um, for those of you who don't know, they knew, you know, Gotze was a German international, came up through the youth system. He was Dortmund through and through. Mm-hmm. Everything good about the club was, it was, he was Klopp's guy, it's by the way. Crown, he was Germany's crown gem. Yeah. I mean, it, people don't, you know, people forget he was the player who basically created the goal for them to win that World Cup. I mean, he was phenomenal in the match. He played great. You know, they, they've, they've, they, they had a very, very big run. Scherzer got the goal, and Gotze did all the work. Um, you look back on it, his injuries you know, absolutely kind of destroyed his time at Bayern, but he still had a good run at Bayern. He just never really hit the heights that he was at at Dortmund. He was so important to Dortmund. And when he left, to your point, they didn't have a replacement in line. He left in basically a short sale where they didn't feel like they had the right amount of time. And the replacement for him at the time was Henrik Mkhitaryan, who hit the ground running, but never actually filled the job or the role that Goetzen did there. And also, for very me, close to joining Liverpool at one time, he was. And this <laughs> yeah. to me almost brings me back, though to it felt a lot like losing a guy like Genie and replacing him with a player like Tiago who had all kinds of class, but did it in such a different way. And then the manager really didn't change the tactics around the players that he had. It was the same story with different components and it has yielded different results. And I, that's not a shot at, at Tiago, but Talk to me a little bit, because you, you started to go down that rabbit hole earlier. Talk to me a little bit about that Genie leaving and Tiago. Is it the fit, or is it the fact that the manager hasn't changed his tactics while still rolling out guys like Henderson and Fabinho that maybe are no longer supporting Tiago's great traits? Yeah, so here's my thing. I, I agree.
1: I agreed with the decision to let Genie leave. I, I, will never, I will never favor in the side of ownership or management on extending a player on a long-term deal on inflated wages at the age Genie was at on the length of contract that Genie wanted. So in that regard, I agreed with letting him go, even though he was obviously our most durable midfielder, was always available for matches, and I think incredibly underrated in what he brought to the side. I also agree with the Tiago purchase. Because when we got Tiago, if you remember what we were talking about, he was a cherry on top. Tiago brought all this class. He was a plan B to break down teams that did basically uh, dropped, eight, uh, dropped eight back in the box at times or stacked the box with four on top of each other. He was our answer to that, our plan B to getting in instead of just crossing endlessly on the wings from either Trent or Robbo. But the premise behind that, was that we would see significant growth from Jones in that role. We never saw it and it doesn't look like we're ever going to see it. And I thought that was relatively obvious very early on. So my assumption was that we would address the depth there and add another body. And we kept waiting and we kept waiting and we kept waiting and we got one midfielder in four years. And I think, and it was Tiago. And I think, my thing to this, the, the parallels to me show that you're looking at a manager who, when he looks at a squad, is so focused on those relationships and that building of that squad, he doesn't think about the next phase of what this looks like. And he is unable uh, to physically let let players age out of a squad. He's physically unable to let them rotate out, rest up to the point where they're getting few enough minutes that it makes sense for them to move on on their next journey. He's unable to do that. If you look at Dortmund, it's the same thing if you look at the roster. And that's why now when you look at our starting 11, they're either early 30s and the guy behind them is early 20s. You don't have that prime asset age of 23 to 28 that you want to be the core of your squad. Those are your prime core players that you can ride minutes-wise. We don't have that. We have the we have low 30s dudes that are aging out, and we have kids that are not ready. Or in it, honestly, let's face not it. If you look at Jones Harvey and all those kids, I'm not sure those guys are ever going to be that the quality we want. Even and, and, and you know, you did this when you talked about the kids earlier. We do this all the time. Wed, you know, Ben Woodburn, Sinclair, who's now got a chicken shop 23 yeah 23 like I mean we do this all the time as supporters and that's fine as supporters I get why supporters do that but managers can't do that managers can't and this is the this is the one thing that I think Pep has on Jurgen he takes a big ass squad and he protects it he gets prime asset age players that ride the core minutes right he puts young players in positions It's not blocking a path for a young player because if they're good enough, they're going to break in. They're going to get – we've seen this with Foden.
0: We've seen this with all the kids that came up through that system. He's doing it right now. He started the Rico yep. kid three of the last four matches. And in the, in the match the other day, he yanked Cancelo at halftime because – and he said right. he actually was playing well, but tactically I needed to shift and I needed the assets that this young man brings. He's an 18-year-old kid who is working on a, a youth contract playing at Manchester City. The Akanji yep. kid walked in, was supposed to be their fifth center back. He is now a starter. Starting over, Kyle yep. Walker at right back and playing at center back because it, it's what he does. And 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 so, any one week you can see Ake out there, and you're like, why is he playing? And then yep. you realize, oh wow, this team plays a lot of balls into the box, and Ake clears the ball with his head better than anyone on the city side. He plays so, tactically against his opponents. And and, and I feel I, like I just think does- what you're doing is
1: you're creating a you're creating a culture of competition and merit based play. That like essentially makes it so that your prime assets are in a position to be protected. You're going to consistently win. Your players that are, are going to evolve and be these gems for you have the ability to grow into those roles. And those that aren't are sold off at a huge profit. And, and we used to be very good at doing that. Uh, we got away from that. And I, and I think it's just we got away from that because I think we're in a position where we can't. Like I think three years ago, Curtis Jones, we could have sold for 30 million to a Southampton. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just I think we're at a we're at a point where we're almost working backwards in the way that we view that. And I think I just think we we talk about it's very easy for us to say, well, we place this on owners that haven't properly backed Jurgen Klopp. And the mountain of evidence suggests that this is a manager who builds these relationships and has a very difficult time naturally evolving a team into its next iteration. And then we're stuck where we are here.
0: Um, and, and, and I don't that's know. That's a perfect, no, that's a perfect. And we're going to skip over a couple of them. We're going to kind of bounce around. We're going to go to number four, which I think speaks to what you're talking about, which was, and this was in this writer's mind, the fourth biggest issue was no new blood. And it was basically that this guy was so in love with the players at Dortmund that he couldn't see value in buying anyone else because there was no one better. Like, he could have bought Caicedo instead of letting him go to Brighton if he had the scouts on the street and wanted the player, right? And he could have groomed him in and then he could have taken on the role of playing like Jordan Henderson. But in his mind, he didn't need him because he had Jordan Henderson and behind him he had Ox and then he always had James Milner if he needed to plug a gap. And this is the thing. We're talking about giving a 37-year-old man an extension because we don't want to buy another midfielder next year to fill a gap. We should have replaced James Milner three years ago. James Absolutely. Milner should be a player, manager, coach. He should be assisting the Leeds young guys right now. He's coaching the U21s right now. Whoever, wherever he wants yeah. to be. It just, this is, and this is what we've done. And we've done it for years. I mean, listen, we could have bought, we could have bought a 10 or $12 million up and coming center back in the summer and groomed him into our system. So when Virgil goes down right now, we have an alternate option other than just Matip with Kanate. But instead, Jurgen's love for Joe Gomez and desire to see him get back to top flight had him help talk the board into giving him a five-year deal instead of selling him for a profit to Steven Gerrard and helping the kid get into the England world cup squad, by the way. But instead we convinced him to stay. And I, I I just don't know who's making these decisions. It, It might've been a little bit of ward. I have this feeling. It is a lot of FSG opinions. Klopp gets the final say. And I think it's a real reason and I think Andy War, AD Ward was saying, I don't want to sit around and get blamed every time we don't buy a player or every time a player doesn't work out when ultimately I just get to compile lists and negotiate contracts. Because ultimately the managers made it clear, the right fits, the only fits are the right fits. So to a lesser extent, no fresh blood, right? Hendo, Fab, Ox, Origi, Jean, Milner. These are all guys that are either going to end their careers here or leave for free. That is way too many players leaving your club without bringing any money in. Especially when you acknowledge that you, you don't have to sell to buy. But it is, it comes with the budget. So, right. I do want to get to one that we've talked about a little bit. Which is, of course, and we've talked about it a lot. The no plan B. Right? So, this writer does an amazing job of actually singling out specific areas that other teams started to change their tactics around in target. So he makes a lot of comments about how Matt Hummels was the linchpin of everything great at the back. Right. But as time went on, he stopped breaking up play and moving balls forward. And he just started being targeted by specific tactics it feels a lot like what we've seen over the last 18 yeah. months with Trent, yeah. with them, just yes. targeting that side of the pitch, targeting him specifically on aerial balls over the top. And you know, it scares me to say this cause the man's hurt right now, but to a lesser extent, I believe that people have been targeting Virgil this year yep. with his high line because he doesn't have the breakaway speed he used to have. And he's, constantly out of position. I mean, he's taken more yellow cards than I can ever remember him taking. He's making actual errors by not being he doesn't have his He size, doesn't seem to speed. have the
1: quick twitch he used to have. The quick change of direction, the acceleration. That's gone. And that, so if,
0: do we put that, do we have to hang that while you're sharing earlier in this podcast that, you know, the stat about all the big chances. Isn't some of that on the manager when, When you've run these players into the ground and now opposing managers are targeting your best players. They're not targeting Keita when he's playing out of form with no confidence. They're targeting Virgil van Dyke and Trent Alexander Arnold.
1: Look, I would say when you have the exact same back line you've had for the last eight years and you've made no changes and that happens, that's entirely on the manager. Because it's either you changed the system or you change the pieces of the system and you've done neither. Uh, so and it's, 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 it's not the, the shouldn't be surprising though. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, I, I think a lot of us forget. I mean, i not, not you galley, but I know I, a lot of us, I think, forget how, how massively we limped over the line last year. I mean, what the difference was, the difference was a player that we haven't had this year. It was Luis Diaz picked us up by the scruff of our neck after we transferred them in and single-handedly drug us over the line. Um, And so I think it's so frustrating because like at the end of the day, it was all preventable. And I think we were either massively naive or massively ignorant in the summer window.
0: So the last bullet um In that article, there is one other. The second bullet that we skipped over is the whole Lewandowski departure and bad scouting. And I didn't think that was really fair because outside of arguably Kata, there hasn't really been a really big, big money miss. I mean, you could say Minamino was a failed signing. You paid seven and a half million for a player from from you know, Salzburg. And if it hit, it would have been brilliant. And we never really gave him a chance and we doubled our money. So it's hard to call it a failure. Anyway, I, I think saying bad scouting is just another word for you. Didn't have plan B. And that, that was where I was going. That's why I yeah. kind of skipped over the yeah. Lewandowski one. Yeah. Plus the Lewandowski thing was like an animal in a room because he kept screaming, he'll never go. We won't let him go to Dortmund or we won't let him go to Byron. But the problem was, was he was telling them I'm running down my contract and going to Byron. And it didn't feel that different than like Jeannie saying, like, I'm not going to sign for your terms. So either sell me, which he never did, or you just lose him for free. And then when he leaves, you're, you know, crying in your milk, you know, crying in your beer, um, which I, you know, I love Jurgen Klopp, but if there is one thing, man, that man has got a goddamn excuse for his excuse. And (laughs) if you call it an excuse, he'll redefine it and then tell you (laughs) an excuse for why I assumed that wasn't. And then you
1: sort of feel conflicted
0: about it and then hate yourself. I'm like, yeah. yeah, and then you're like, and then I get ridiculed by everyone for calling anything out. So yeah. the last bullet, and maybe the scariest and most daunting one in that whole entire piece was, was bigger than the club and realized it. So yeah. when Klopp resigned on the random Wednesday, right before the winter transfer window when he did, His argument was, there's nothing I can do here to fix things and nothing I can do that actually will make it better. Because no matter what, if I fix it, I'll get all the credit. And if it doesn't get fixed, they'll just blame the club. And if that's the case, I have to go. Until you sent me that link. And I've been talking about this on this pod for two years and kind of getting smacked by the dictator who's not here. So we got to talk about it for half the show tonight. Um, I don't want to say out loud because like I actually wrote down here on my notes. Dear Lord, no. <laughs> or maybe, oh, or maybe, or maybe it's what we're in required. the nest. There's like what, I, four viewers. We're in the nest. You're good. Yes. Yeah. But I, I said it, though. I said it. I was like, dear Lord, no. But maybe? Maybe it's really what's required. And, and you know, I, I live here. I've told everyone, right? I live here in Springfield, Massachusetts. I am not a Patriots fan, right? That shit is happening here right now. There are people walking around, like, with their head turning sideways, going, like, can we really do three more years of Belichick in this way? Like, so, not that he's not still the best man, coach that's ever coached in the NFL. And probably the best coach, that, surely the best coach New England's ever had. But there is a time where things change. You know, I'm a Red Sox fan, and I've always said, I waited my whole life for the Red Sox to win the World Series. And when Terry Francona delivered it, and then delivered two more, I was like, they will never replace him. And then they fired him, and two years later, they won another World Series with the same group of guys who quit on that guy. Mm Because at some point, a message gets old, especially one that comes from someone with so much passion and so much Vigor and anger. Is there any way that Liverpool Football Club and this next iteration requires a new set of leaders and voice? And do you think there's any way that a new ownership regime would look for that? Oh, fuck. I hate that question. Um,
1: I will tell you this. I think that this current team and this current club To reach the current heights It needs one of two things It either needs a new manager I said it I just fucking ripped that band-aid off Or it needs Jurgen Klopp To have an intervention And make serious concessions About the way that he views his squad I don't know If we look at Jurgen Klopp The one thing that we've seen Is that he is consistent And stubborn to a fault throughout And that has been to a lot of people's benefits, including ours, and it's also been to our detriment. So if I'm a betting man and, and I'm saying like, you know, Jurgen is going to come and see the fact that like, you know, you have no choice. You have to add here. You have to add there. You have to play with a certain amount of rotation throughout. You know, you can't keep spots open for four young midfielders come through at any given time and still have that sort of depth and, and quality. I, I don't, I don't fancy those, those odds. Um, God, I, 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 I mean, part of me just wishes to him would have happened this summer. Cause I think that would have made a huge difference in a lot of ways.
0: Um, well, it definitely would have put us in a position where we didn't have to feel so all in on Bellingham, where if you don't get him, it's right. literally the sky's falling. Um, and I, I, I think- do,
1: I, I do literally think he's the perfect fucking signing. Just yeah, from I'd a culture it. standpoint, his family, his ability to take the captain's R for years. He's kept true captain's material. He's right. a vintage classic throwback, box to box mid. He's still a baby. So you've got like 10 good years in him. I think he is the perfect signing. I think that even with Chua Mini, I think Billingham still would have been a like would have been a target. My thing is like, if you didn't get Chua Mini, you should have had six options lined up and ready to fucking go. You well, should have had that's, them there. Yeah, that's right?
0: exactly where we are. So, yeah. um, you know, great show tonight, Paul. We are, believe it or not, already at an hour. I think we could probably go on on this topic for a while because... um, you know, We, we just both be mumbling our...
1: until we both passed out under a bridge together. It's fine.
0: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, we've, we've, <laughs> yeah really. We have talked about this in the past and we've gone deep into it. And it is hard because you have to be critical of something you don't want to be critical of. And you also right. have to... You also have to acknowledge that if that is the case, then this cycle, this, this rotation, this run of this, which has been so magical and so wonderful for all of us, is coming to an end. And if you aren't seeing that now, then these next two or three months, you, you, you're going to see it. If there aren't drastic improvements, this is only going to get worse um, yeah. where Chelsea is right now are not that far off of where we are. We're a couple shock results actually from, from being there already. Like, you know, people forget it took a stoppage time winner past when stoppage time was supposed to end to actually get that win against Newcastle, or they'd be two points closer to the top and we'd be two points further away. Like there are already some great wins and comebacks and, and, and moments so far this year. So On that, um, we're going to wrap it up. Paul, you won't be with us next Monday, I believe, because I think you're traveling for work. Nope, I'll be in Boston. Um, So what is the result come Saturday when we line up and have to show up at one of the hottest sides in the Premier League and play Brighton in their building at the Amex? What is the result, and more importantly, Will there be a response?
1: I can't see this. dude, this this looks to me, this if I'm honest, this looks very much like the Bright the Brent, like the Brentford team, like in my opinion, in terms of like just what they're capable of from an offensive standpoint and the fact that they're playing pretty well defensively. So I mean, I can't it's hard to see us pulling on a result. If we do, I'm thinking it's like a four-three, three-two result. I think there's going to be goals either way. I think it's going to be gross. I think we're going to all want to throw up on each other uh, when we see how many chances are, are given consistently. Um, so I'll go – my fingers are crossed for something like a 3-2, but I would not be shocked if we if we got walked off the park.
0: So I was going to say 3-2 and stay positive with the win. Yeah. I'm going to stick with that. Um Let's just say it is a Gross performance, but not one where Pascal Gross is banging in goals (laughs) and scoring from the penalty spot. Um, And, you know, the idea that they're having a little trouble in their squad, you know, there's rumblings that Caicedo really wants to leave, that Trossard actually was dropped for the FA Cup match, not even in the squad, and DeZerby said, I only want players who work hard on non-match days which basically tells me Trossard has down tools trying to force the move, maybe to Newcastle, um, maybe to Chelsea, depending on, you know, if Graham Potter still has a job by Saturday. Um, That would not be what I would be looking to do, but we'll get to that when we come back uh, with our iteration of the Premier League show. So quick reminders here. The guys will be back Thursday night, 8 o'clock. Check them out. They will be covering – all things Liverpool like we do here, previewing that Brighton match that we touched on right there. We'll have the fantasy show directly following it at 9 with myself and the Polish Prince talking about all the failed mistakes we made on the first double game week just to get ready for mistakes going into another double game week. And lastly, please, if you are watching us on YouTube, subscribe now to the channel, give it a like, share it, Tell us something you love about it. Hell, if you don't, tell us something you hate about it. We'd love your feedback. As always, we appreciate all the interaction. All of our viewers have a wonderful week. And think about it this way, people. It can only get better from here. Have a great week.